You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Morning, welcome to Riverview Church Online. Whether you're from Riverview Church or whether you're connecting from somewhere else, it's great to have you with us this morning. And we really hope that God will speak into your heart today. Whether you are a believer or not, I believe that God has got something for you that He wants to communicate to you. Now, this morning we are going to begin a new series called Authentic Abundance. And it's around John 10, uh, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or in abundance. The the whole series of four messages really wants to deal with two key questions. The first is, what is it? What is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about here? And then secondly, how do I get it? How do I access it? How do I grow in it? And in this first message, I want to deal with the what. What is it? What is abundant life? And perhaps what it isn't. uh, And what makes it authentic? What makes it genuine? How do I know that what I have is real? Now, spoiler alert, authentic, abundant life is found in Jesus Christ. It is found in having an authentic relationship with him, life in Christ. So the question really is, what does authentic life in Christ look like? Now, before I get into that, let me just say there's a lot going on in and around the world at the minute that really is worth talking about. It it actually needs speaking into. And this is a significant moment in the history of the world and in the history of the church. And as far as the church is concerned, this is a new season and it's a time for a new wineskin, ready for new wine. It's a time to reposition ourselves and make sure we're in the flow of the river of God, that, that we're not just river view like we're sitting on the banks and watching the water flow by, but we're immersed in it. We are part of it. And this is a time for us to be digging wells that can be filled with living water that comes from that river and will bring life to the community around us. So why then would I want to begin this season kicking off with a look at abundant life? Why is this an important message for us? Why is it worth committing a short series to? Well, I believe it's because this is foundational. And I'm actually talking mainly to believers here, people who would identify as Christians. Because if that's you, if we are not operating in this, if we're not moving towards this, if we're not understanding this, and if we're not growing in this, then we are not able to present Jesus effectively. We're not able to lead people to him. And ultimately, any wells that we dig will be shallow and muddy. The fields are ready for harvest. People are desperately in pursuit of a life of value and meaning and purpose. But we, the workers, we need to be prepared. We need to be fit and we need to be ready and willing. Now, here's a big question. What's the meaning of life? What is life's purpose? If you take God out of the equation, you get some pretty bleak answers. Some might say it is up to each of us individually to give our own lives meaning through our work, our relationships and our 
passions. Some might say that it's to pursue happiness, whatever the cost, as long as I don't hurt somebody else, that's okay. Or that I will find meaning in contributing positively to society, being a good person, maybe leaving a decent legacy. And you know, there's nothing essentially wrong with those things. But let me tell you that before Jesus, I kind of enjoyed my work, but it never led to a sense of fulfillment or purpose. In fact, even now, it's not my job that gives me purpose and fulfillment. My relationships, however hard I tried, were were often fractured and broken, and my passions only seemed to cause damage and hurt and pain to people around me. In, In pursuit of happiness, often my feeling good was at the expense of somebody else. And, and listen, what if you can't afford the cost? What, what if you have no hope of being able to pursue personal happiness? What if the circumstances to which somebody is born make happiness an unattainable tease? Poverty, violence, exploitation, racism, fa- uh, famine, injustice. And, and what if you can afford it? What if you can afford to go wherever you want, do whatever you want, try anything you want, and yet at the end of it, find that nothing really satisfies, nothing really comes close to answering the question about your meaning and your purpose. And what if I contribute to to society really well and leave a legacy? You know, all but a handful of us will be forgotten about within 100 years of our death. Throughout the span of history, there's just a tiny number of people's names we still remember. So health, happiness, function, contribution, legacy. Is that what it's really all about? It's an empty cookie jar. It promises you everything that you could ever want and on your own terms, which we particularly love. But it delivers nothing. It can deliver nothing because it has nothing to give. Without Jesus Christ, it is cosmic meaninglessness. You are an intelligent but insignificant bag of molecules. And I think that at some point in our lives, every person realises this, even if they sweep it under the rug and try to hide it. In pursuit of satisfaction, chasing prosperity, chasing purpose, chasing peace, chasing popularity. They will all come up short in our expectations. But in all of those things, people are searching for Jesus. They might not know it. They might not want to admit it. They might argue against it. But to to them, maybe he's like the unknown God of ancient Greece. You know, when the Apostle Paul was in Athens in Acts 17, he observed that they were a very religious people. And he noted an altar where they had the inscription to an unknown God. So he goes on to make God known to them. And you know what? Some of them sneer and some of them mock, but others want to hear more. And some of them turn and become followers. Look, when people are in pursuit of abundance, of joy, of refreshment, of peace, of meaning, of purpose, of value, when they're in pursuit of life, they are searching for Jesus, even as he is an unknown God to them. This pursuit is actually hardwired into every single one of us because 
in the garden in Genesis, right at the very beginning, we were created perfectly in the perfect location to have a perfect relationship with a perfect God. And all of that was broken by sin and we became estranged from God. And now our constant pursuit for happiness and purpose and meaning and value is actually a subconscious pursuit of the garden and of the renewal of that relationship with God. But the problem is we carry on trying to cultivate our own garden in that pursuit and we carry on trying to form our own relationships and they all come down like a house of cards. In all the ways that people consume and cram their lives with stuff and run from experience to experience and desperately claw for meaning and purpose, they're searching for the well that contains the water of life. And sadly, too many times, what they find from what they would see or describe as the church is a signpost to a building or to a religion or to a tradition, a moral code, or a list of high social expectations. And perhaps we too sometimes miss something, pursue the wrong thing. We spend our time and our effort pursuing a religion, a practice, rather than a restored relationship. And maybe there are some who sadly can't lead people to the well of life because they have no idea what or where it is. The, the authenticity of our individual walk with God is desperately important for this world that is dying around us. We need to be able to lead people to the one who can offer them the water of life. But you know, there's a massive difference between leading and directing. Directing means I stand in one place and point you in the direction. But leading means I say, follow me, I'm going to take you there. I can't lead somewhere that I'm not heading. I can't tell you something that I don't know. I can point you to Wikipedia or Google. I can't describe a food that I've never tasted and I can't lead you to a person that I've not met. Even if I can tell you about them, I can't introduce you to somebody that I don't know. Now, imagine that you and I are in a room and Bono from U2 walks in. And, and now imagine, bearing in mind that I've never met the guy before in my life and he has no idea who I am. Imagine I walk you over to him and say, hey, Bono. Meet Andrew. Andrew, meet Bono. He's going to look at me like I'm a complete idiot because he does not know me and I do not know him. You know, a non-believing RE teacher can teach you about Christianity. They, they can teach you about the historical character of Jesus, but they cannot introduce you to Jesus. To introduce you to Jesus you need to know him genuinely. You need to have encountered him personally. In order to bring people to the wells of living water, you need to have already tasted and seen that it is good. You can't bear witness to a life in abundance unless you know it. And not just knowing about it in your head theoretically, but living and growing and swimming in it. In other words, 
not only do you believe, but you're also delightfully right in the middle of experiencing and continuing to rejoice in him and in the abundant life that he gives. That is authentic abundance. So, so we need to understand that what Jesus is meaning when he talks about life in abundance. Now, I want to pause and just read to you that portion of scripture so that we see what Jesus is talking about in context. So he says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. The the thief only comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks uh, the flock and it scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of God. Incredible that he would lay down his life for us. Now pause for a second. If we just take verse 10, the verse about abundant life on its own. It's really quite easy to read into it that this is about prosperity, about fulfillment, about Jesus like supercharging our lives and giving us access to an incredible life. Now the Greek word here is uh, perisos, which it means over and above, it means excessive, it means super abundant, it means overflowing. So we're talking about exceedingly more, like a a hyper abundance that Jesus is talking about. But the danger is it can raise our expectation that God can somehow superpower our lives and our achievements uh, and kind of that he becomes like a a heavenly blessing machine for those who turn to him, that, that now that we're believers, everything will somehow line up for us like all our ducks in a row. Well, let me ask you a question. How well did that line up for Peter, who was crucified upside down? Or for Matthew, who was killed by the sword for his relationship with Christ? Or Mark, dragged to death through the streets by horses? Or or James, beheaded? Or Stephen, stoned to death? You know, when we make this about money or opportunity or status about us, about what we can get, about having a brilliant life, We actually devalue and cheapen whatever it is that Jesus is talking about. Actually, if that's all there is to it, honestly, why would anyone turn to Jesus? If it's about prosperity and wealth and status, a sense of happiness uh, and even a sense of goodness, if it's all about that, then I can achieve that without Christ. People do. I mean, don't shoot me for saying that. There are plenty of non-believers who are prosperous, who are wealthy, even without 
corruption. There are plenty who have great lives who would say that they're happy and satisfied. And there are plenty of non-believers who lead good lives of kindness and generosity that, frankly, many professing believers fail to live up to. You know, Christianity is not about offering something simply like an alternative lifestyle or belief system to achieve happiness. Like, well, if that's not working out for you, have you considered this? And just see if it works. And if not, go on, try something else. You know, Jesus didn't come that we could have more of the same or even a better version of the same thing that we already have or can get for ourselves. He has come to give us something entirely different. He's come to give us something that we don't already have, something that we cannot get or experience without him. So what is it? I want you to notice that Jesus does not say, I have come to give you abundant life, i.e. the best of everything. It's not about God fulfilling all of our dreams and desires here. No, what he says is I have come to give you life in abundance, in fullness. And so it is life that he gives. In other words, he's not saying that he's come to make your life, the life that you already have, look better or be better, to make you the best version of yourself. Rather, he's come to give you something entirely new and exceedingly greater. Life where there was no life. Now, maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, aren't we alive? Like right now, isn't something, isn't life something that we already have? Well, yes, <laughs> physically, I expect that if you're sitting, standing, whatever, living, breathing, listening to this right now, yes, <laughs> you're alive physically, as were the people that Jesus was addressing here. So he's clearly not talking about that. This life that he's talking about giving is more than physical life. It's more than material, random existence. And listen, without Christ, people are spiritually dead. Not sleeping, not distracted, not confused. Dead. Paul talks about when we were dead in our sin in the book of Colossians. Jesus has come to bring an abundance of living to that which was previously decaying like Lazarus being called out of the tomb. Paul also states that God made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our sin, in the book of Ephesians. So this life that he is describing is firstly something that far exceeds the physical life that we already know. It's as different as the state of death is to the state of life. And then secondly, it's something that we don't have already or can't have prior to and without an ongoing relationship with Christ. It is something that needs to be provided through him. Notice in the text that Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's in verse nine, the verse before the one that we've picked out today. Now, Jesus is talking about something that cannot be accessed or experienced without coming through him. He 
is the only conduit for life and life in abundance, the only way in. Acts 4, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. There is no other route to the eternal life that Jesus is talking about than Jesus himself. There's no other answer to the question, what is the meaning of life, than the answer, Jesus. He is the gate. He is the only way in. But that's not all. Jesus doesn't just say that he's the gateway to this life in abundance. He also says, I am the good shepherd in verse 11. You know, in ancient Palestine, the shepherd was the gate. You know, what they would do at night is they would lie across the gateway to protect the sheep so that if anything tried to come into that pen, they would have to go through the shepherd first. And also it would keep the sheep in the pen as well through the night so that they were safe and secure and looked after. So it would literally lie across the gateway to protect the sheep and keep them safe and keep threats out. As the gate and as shepherd, he provides for us wholly and fully. Security, sustenance, significance and satisfaction. Look, security, protection from the wolf, from the thief and from the robber who seek to kill and steal and destroy. He positions himself in and around us to give us life. And he literally puts himself into harm's way. And the best picture we see of that is that Jesus hung himself on the cross, standing as the gateway for us to enter in. So he positions himself to save us and won't run away like a hired hand. The sustenance, he leads his sheep out into the pastures that will sustain and cause them to grow and be nourished and be healthy. And then significance, his, his sheep belong to him. He, he calls them by name and he puts his own name upon them so that they know him and they know that they are known by him. He knows our name and we know his and we know his voice. So we become significant and then satisfaction in overflowing life, which we could not have without him. He satisfies our hearts. So he's not just the one thing. He, he's not just the way in. He's not just the entrance point, but he is the whole thing. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the father except through me. And that's in John 14 uh, verse 6. In other words, John 10 could read, I have come that they may have me and have me in abundance, fully, completely supercharged Jesus in our lives. So he's both the, the conduit for life in abundance and he is the life in abundance. It's given by the action that he lays down his life for us. So as I bring this towards a conclusion, authentic abundance is life in Christ. 
The abundance is found and outworked in pursuit of him. It's found in having an authentic relationship with the living and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Authentic life in Christ where he is prominent, where he consumes every quantum aspect of my thought and my heart and my life. And this is not about religious practice. This is not about organised tradition. This is not about attending church once or twice a week. That is not Christianity. And this is not about a way of life or like a particular culture because I was born here or there. It's not about clearing some time in my busy schedule to make some more time for God. What does authentic life in Christ look like? It looks like Jesus being totally preoccupied with him, like knowing him and yet desiring to know him more, treasuring him and yet straining to dig up the full treasure chest. He's at the centre of our lives, the, the delight of our hearts, the focal point, the obsession to be utterly consumed with him, to, uh, with knowing him, with knowing that we are known by him. Authenticity means that, that we don't see life in abundance as anything other than life in Jesus himself. Take the world and give me Jesus. Nothing compares. Now, a question that really challenged me recently, I heard from John Piper, and I believe it originally comes from J.C. Ryle. It says, if you could have heaven with no sickness... And all of the friends that you ever had on earth and all of the food that you ever liked, all of the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all of the natural beauties that you ever saw, all of the physical pleasures you ever tasted and and no human conflict and no natural disasters. Could you, in those circumstances, be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? The answer of a new creation, of one who has been born again and raised to life, born in Christ, categorically must be a resounding no. I would not be satisfied. To answer yes would mean that we neither know him nor want him. We simply desire the things that we can get from him. Now, of course, time and time again, I'm constantly distracted prone to wonder I'm so quick to press on without listening and yet my heart is inclined toward him I I quickly sink when I take my eyes from him I, I, I quickly hear the wrong things when my ears are turned away from him and I fail to love him a thousand ways a thousand times a day but take him away Even the thought of that grieves me more than I can fathom. That's evidence of authenticity. Authentic abundance is in pursuit of Jesus rather than in pursuit of what he can give us. An authentically abundant life is one saturated with Jesus. It is in the river, not watching from the banks. But please, please, please be encouraged. Because if you feel frustrated with yourself, if if you feel challenged by this, don't beat yourself up. Because the desire to, to, to go deeper, the desire to be higher up, the desire to be further in is evidence of his life within you. Life in abundance means that in Christ, I don't live in the past. I live now and I live forward. 
Uh, and so the past, with all of its guilt and with all of its disappointment and with all of its shame and all the ways that I've failed him a thousand times, all of that loosens its grip on me as I am in pursuit of all that Jesus is. We, we have abundant access to the Father through life in Christ, which is won by his death. And the only hindrance in that pursuit is our own willingness to be in pursuit of him. Do we hunger after him? This authentic life of abundance is ongoing and ongrowing. To, to be safe and alive and growing, and I'm finishing with this, the sheep still needs to do three things. It needs to follow the shepherd where he leads. It needs to trust the shepherd where he leads. And it needs to eat in the pastures that he is led to in order to be nourished and healthy and full of life. And that is where we'll pick it up next week. Amen. 